0: It was that silent night when the stars turned their gaze to marvel at the earth, when the heavens gathered breathless round a lowly stable, when a young mother wept tears of worship falling on the baby in her arms, and the song of the earth arose in Bethlehem. Soft as the tender beating of his heart. And all was calm. All was bright. Yet could this be the same God of Abraham, the conqueror of Israel? This baby, this fragile life? Is this child the one who burned his name in rapture across the gasping skies? whose voice spoke the oceans into crashing rhythms, who crafted the mountains into guardians of the firmament, whose hand ignited the thirst of the deserts and the warring surge of the elemental hosts, who breathed life from dust, broke the oppressor's rule, scattered the chains of his people like sand, and led them through the wilderness with the pillar of flame. This child, the one whose presence billowed thunderous on Sinai's peak, who surrounded Job with a roaring wind, stood defiant in the raging furnace, wrote judgment against tyrants, and blazed on the lips of the prophets, scorching history's pages with the fury of his might. Could this be the same God who chose to come as the vulnerable king, Setting his throne on straw and manger. Drawing forth the tears of shepherds. Receiving the gifts of wandering travelers. His fame unknown in this world. He is Jesus. The one who thunders through the heavens, yet whispers to our hearts who reigns victorious, yet bows to serve the broken. He is God in the fury, God in the silence. He holds this mystery balanced in his hands, holds our questions till they lose their need, until all we see is him.
1: Amen. That's powerful. I don't think we need to do anything else. We could just leave. That was so good. It gives you chills just thinking about who he is and what he did for you and I. Amen. 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 Look at your neighbor and say, Merry Christmas Eve. Merry Christmas, Eve. Merry Christmas warm Eve. <laughs> Somebody said that this could be the warmest Christmas in history. So that's crazy if it is. Now, this is Ohio. So we will get slapped here very soon, so enjoy the 58 degrees tomorrow that they say we're going to have, because winter's coming. Amen. (laughs) It's good to have all you guys here this evening, and uh, this Christmas Eve evening, we had a lot of people here this morning. How many of you guys uh, were not here this morning? Raise your hands, and let me see your hands. If you were not here this morning, all right, lots of, how many of you then were here this morning? Let's see your hands. Great. Awesome. Good stuff. I'm glad you guys decided to come back tonight to hear my same message I'm preaching from this morning. It's going to be good. So I'm sure you missed a bunch. I always miss a bunch as well. So we're going to do that again tonight. So for those of you that have been here for the last four weekends, I would say, December we have themed it all as See the Savior. And so we had uh, Pastor Tim who started out the, the month and then we had Pastor Rick, our Dayton campus pastor, Pastor Nicole last week, and then of course me this morning and tonight finishing up the series. And um, we discussed basically what, what did others see when they saw Jesus. I mean, just that video right there says so much about who he is and what he's done for you and I and what he is going to do for us I mean it's not over there's so much more and then we have eternity what is going to happen in eternity I hope that uh, you get to make it there you will make eternity but it may not be the good part of eternity because there's only two places you go to when we die that is either heaven or that is either hell I had to do a funeral this month and the lady sat across from me and she said please don't preach hellfire and brimstone And I said, listen, I won't. I'm not going to. I said, but when you die, there's only two places you're headed. That's either heaven or hell. And she just began to weep because she didn't know for sure if her father was in heaven or not. So that was a very tough funeral. But that's where we go. So we discussed, what do we see when we see Jesus? And as I said this morning, I think the most thing that surprises me is Jesus' own people, his own family, the Jews, the Israelites, his chosen people. It's hard for me to believe that all through history, they did not see him as the Savior. I mean, you have family. Some might be a distant family, but you know who they are. You know what they're all about. But they didn't see Jesus as the Savior And we're going to talk about that tonight. Why didn't the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the other Jewish leaders see him as the Savior? And I say that because God prepared the children of Israel and his people to watch for their Messiah that was to come. God raised up leaders. He raised up prophets. He gave prophetic words of his coming all through history. There were signs and wonders and typologies and patterns all throughout the Old Testament that God was for his people and was coming back for his people. All these things were meant to point them to their coming Messiah and to prepare them to recognize him when he does show up on this earth. And so, all the prophecies of the Old Testament, every one of them up to today, has been fulfilled. And as I said, every prophecy that the Old Testament has said is already done and in place for His coming back. For us to meet Him in the air. Every prophecy is in place for that. That is what we are waiting on next. That prophecy to be fulfilled. Now that should be exciting and you missed a place to shout right there. Or you missed a place to go, "Uh uh-oh, right there. (laughs) Because this one is going to be a twinkling of an eye. We'll be here, and then we'll be gone. The only way you'll know that we are gone is because apparently our clothes will be left behind. (laughs) I'm just telling you what it says. So that's what we're waiting on. Everything else has been fulfilled. And that's an exciting thing if you're a born-again Christian. Hallelujah. And so, after Adam and Eve sinned, God wasted no time to try to get his people back, to be in relationship with you and I again. Because remember what happened when they sinned, bam, relationship was cut off between man and God. And of course, big angels were at the Garden of Eden, and Adam and Eve were not allowed back in again. But God loved us so much, he came up with a plan quickly. Quickly, he did. Didn't mess around. And in Genesis uh, the 15th, or third, the, actually Genesis, the 3rd chapter, the 15th verse, it says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He will bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Right there, that scripture verse points to the promise of Jesus' birth right there in Genesis. Right after Adam and Eve sinned. His redemption and victory over Satan and death. And Jesus defeated Satan on the cross. Amen. Hallelujah. Death lost its sting that day. Lost its sting that day. So, with the prophecies that were fulfilled, I also said that there were over 300 prophecies of Jesus' coming in the Old Testament. Over 300. And so obviously we don't have time to do all those. So I want to just come up with a few and just look back at some of these and check these out. So, the first one is in Micah. Micah is the Old Covenant. Old book of the Testament, Micah 5.2, it says, But you brethren, uh, Ephrath, or uh, you Bethlehem, Ephrath, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. That prophecy was fulfilled in Matthew, the second chapter, in the New Testament, verse 1. It says, After Jesus was born, and where? Bethlehem of Judea. In the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. What's crazy is, is there's two Bethlehems in Israel. And that prophecy was so specific that it even got the right Bethlehem. That's pretty good, I think, don't you? That's great. The next one is Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. It says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Again, verified, again, done in Matthew 1, 23, New Testament. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And the last one I'm going to bring out is Jeremiah 31, 31. It says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. And that was fulfilled in Matthew 26, 28, where Jesus said, For this is my blood of the what? New the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remissions of our sins. And here's the thing about these prophecies. And I think this helped this morning. And a lot of people said, wow, that was really good. And it helped me see just how important these prophecies were. There's a bunch of mathematicians. Very harmonical philosophical, hermeneutical, and hermeneutical. Very, very intelligent. Way more intelligent than, than probably most of us in this room. And they all got together, and so they were from around the world. And they said they wanted to find out just how impossible or p- possible it was for man to take an Old Testament prophecy and it to actually come to pass in the New Testament exactly as it has said. Thousands of years ago. Is it possible that this could really take place and happen. Could man really do this? And so all these mathematicians got together, and to make a very long, boring story short, they said that they would have to take a quarter and put quarters all in the entire state of Texas, every corner of Texas, every bit of Texas. And if you live there, you know how big it is. It's a very big state. And take one of those quarters and paint the whole quarter black, And put it in with all those other silver quarters. And then drop all those quarters in the entire state of Texas. Take one blind man. Or put a blindfold on a man. Not a blind. You can do either or I guess. It'd work. (laughs) Put a blindfold over a guy. And drop him somewhere in the state of Texas. And let him find that one quarter that's all black out of those silver quarters. They said that that would be the possibility of one and 150,000 zeros on the end of it for everything to happen like it happened. I mean, that makes you go, excuse me? What? Wow, this Bible is absolutely true. It's absolutely real. Every date, every person, everything it talks about, every plant, every tree, you can find it. It's there. History is there for it. So that's why we teach out of this Bible. That's why I go around the world and preach out of the Bible because it's the truth. It's the living word. It will change your life. It's Zoe. It's life if you'll use it and read it for your behalf. It's the only book. That's that's why it's the most popular book still in the world. It's the Bible. It is. It's not how to be rich. It's the Bible. Still. That's why we do this. That's why we read out of this and preach this and live this. So then in Luke, the fourth chapter, in the New Testament, verse 16 and 21, Jesus is finally here on this earth. God in the flesh, born in a manger, raised, went into the wilderness and fasted for 40 days and nights and came out with power, the Bible says. Starting his ministry, his earthly ministry. And then he is right here, comes to Nazareth, the Bible says, where he has been brought up and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And then the Bible says that he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant, and then he sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. I'm sure it was just as quiet, maybe not as many lights. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Wow, that's powerful. Should have been very powerful. Jesus was in the church of Nazareth, in church, like you and I are here tonight. He was in church in Nazareth, where he was born, and he was reading from Isaiah 61, 1 and 2, and he is telling the Jews in church on Shabbat, or of course the holy day, the Sabbath, the day of rest, that he, he is the Messiah, that He is the fulfillment of that specific Old Testament prophetic scripture. It's me. I'm here. What what you just read and have been reading for hundreds and thousands of years, and what I just read, it's about me, bro. I'm here. And most of the people did what you're doing. Hmm. Oh, wow. Okay. Listen, there should have been parties going on. They should have been celebrating, right? I mean, they should have had music playing. They should have been doing all the weird dances. They should have been doing everything. I mean, listen, and what they should have done too was Samson. I'd had Samson as the DJ because, dude, he could have brought the house down. Woo! <laughs> you know, chicka ding. But they didn't. They didn't do any of that stuff. No, instead, What they did was take him to the edge of town and try to throw him off a cliff. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, the creator who created them, they're going to take him and kick him off off a cliff. Thank God he was all God and all man and got somehow snuck out of that mess. Hallelujah. Are you still with me tonight? Okay. Why did not they see him as the savior? Not only did the Jews have the prophecies, but they also had the rituals that they did to remind them of his coming, that they had to do. Every year for hundreds of years, there was the Feast of Passover. And that Feast of Passover, which was called, that every person in every home, well actually every home, family, had to take a lamb, a spotless, perfect lamb, and sacrifice it. And that was to remind them of the Passover that happened in Exodus twelve twelve. The sacrifice took place right before the 10th plague in Egypt, where, of course, all the firstborn of Egypt died. And in Exodus 12, 12, it says, For I will pass through the land of Egypt on the night and shall strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both men and beast. and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. See, the Jews, remember, if you remember the story, they were still slaves in Egypt, and Pharaoh would not let the people go, so he took that eighth plague. And on that night, what they had to do was, after they killed that animal, that spotless, perfect lamb, they had to take the blood and put it on the doorpost, and put it on the lintel. And then, when that death angel passed their house, if they saw that blood, they would not kill the firstborn. And you know, and I know, that there was sobbing and weeping from all those babies of Egypt and the beasts that died that night that didn't have that blood over those doorposts and over that lentil. I'm sure it was a very, very sad, sad day. But this Levitical sacrificial system was God-ordained and was repeated yearly in remembrance of what God had done in sparing the firstborn lives. And when Jesus showed up on the scene, again in the New Testament, in the flesh, on the tenth day of the month of Nisan, which is the first month of the Jewish calendar, the Passover lambs were selected for each family. Jesus himself, as the spotless lamb of God, as you saw in the video, rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. And that Old Testament prophecy is found in Zechariah, 9 9, and it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. Prophesied and fulfilled again. The spotless lambs were inspected for four days in the old covenant to determine that they were pure and worthy of sacrifice. And again, when Jesus was here and he was taken up to be crucified, he also was tested for four days by the Pharisees and the rulers before his crucifixion. And as I said, even Pontius Pilate could find no fault in him. That's our Savior, that's our King. So spotless lamb. So how did they not see him as the Savior? I'm glad you asked that question, because I'm going to tell you. You see, Jesus came as a baby in a manger, and he lived a very humble life. And the Jews were looking for a man, a Messiah, and an anointed one who would lead them and liberate them. When Jesus began to preach, it was one of love for all and humble service there's no king that ever wants to be humble. And there's no king that ever wants to serve. All kings have a big thing on their shoulders and want to be served because they're king and rightful of it. But not Jesus. He came to serve. And he wasn't just king. He was our creator. Wow, king of all kings. And he came to serve. They were looking for the one who would conquer, not for a suffering person who would die. They were looking for the Lion of the tribe of Judah, who would reign as king, not the Lamb of God, who would take away the sins of you and I. They weren't looking for that at all. They were looking for the Messiah, son of David. He was to be king from the tribe of Judea, the Lion of David. They missed the Messiah, son of Joseph the suffering servant who would forgive the sins of his brethren and restore the relationship with them, Israel, the Jews. That's what he came to do. They were looking for a coming king who would actually free them from Roman oppression, not a Passover lamb who would free them and set them free from the bondage of all of their sin. That is why... They could not see Jesus as the Savior. They missed it. They missed it. Now turn to Matthew the 16th chapter. Matthew the 16th chapter, because I want to show something to you, to give you a little bit of history tonight about one of the places that Jesus went. I put a map up on the screen here. This is the map of Israel. And Jesus, of course, was preaching everywhere. But you see where he mostly preached in Jerusalem and Joppa and those places. There's Nazareth where he was born. Sea of Galilee right there. But way, way up to the north is Caesarea Philippi. Somehow he decided to stroll all the way up there. It took 49 hours to walk there from Jerusalem. It would take two and a half hours by a car and I think five and a half hours by a bus to get there. But he was way up in that area. And so you got to know something about the Bible, also. Sometimes you just can't take the vi- the Bible as as the Bible as just reading it verbatim. And if you say, "Well, I, I don't know about that, Pastor Andy," fine. Then when you come to that scripture verse that says, "If your arm offends, it cut it off," go ahead, cut it off. If you come to that scripture where it says, "You know, if your eye offends, you cut it out," well, how come all of us only are looking with one eye tonight? Yeah, you got to dig into the Bible to find out sometimes what it really says. Because sometimes it just doesn't make sense or it doesn't mean what it says on the top. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling and studying. All right? I heard one come on. Okay. So he was way up in Caesarea Philippi. And in that area was a very bad pagan area. They did a lot of pagan worship up there. Bad things happened up there. They had this god by the name of Pan, for some strange reason. His name was Pan. And they worshipped this thing, and he was called a cave god. He was half man, and he was half uh, goat. And he had a flute in his mouth. That's the most ugliest statue I've ever seen in my life. Why would somebody create something that ugly and think that people are going to worship it? But they do, and they did. And also there was a grotto, it was a cave. And it was based at the, mount, or at the bottom of the, the Mount Hermon, and it was called the Grotto of Pan. And water flowed from it to the Jordan River, and it was the center of the pagan worship because the people thought the water went straight down to hell inside the cave. Again, you know, it's old times. So these people, with that nasty-looking statue that somebody made and somebody called Pan, they would bring all their live animals... And they would throw them down into that bottomless pit because they thought that, of course, Pan would help them with health and crops and farmland and and more babies and whatever else that they wanted. They would sacrifice all those things thinking that that fake statue was going to help them somehow. And they were so dedicated to that that they even made a town. Made a town right beside the whole thing. I mean, it, it looks like New York. It's crazy back then. You can still go there today and you can see a lot of this stuff up there in Caesarea Philippi. But I wanted to say all that because I wanted you to see where Jesus really was. He was in an area where he wasn't used to being. He wasn't popular there. Um, I guess you could say that he was, he was um, well, he wasn't in Jerusalem anymore where people liked him and cheered when he rode into town and, and, and was doing all this stuff. No, no, he was up in a dangerous area where nobody could care less. And so Caesar Augustus gave that region to Herod the Great, who was a very bad king, as we already know. Pastor Tim talked about that the first week. He killed his wife and three of his kids because they felt threatened. They were going to take his kingship. And then when the Magi did not let him know where Jesus was, because he was warned in a dream, then he took every two-year-old... Down and slaughtered them and a certain part of Israel to try to find Jesus because, again, he was threatened because he was the king that was coming. Again, a very sad day that day. But King Herod gave this pagan area to one of his sons, Philip, who named the region after Caesar and himself, thus called Caesarea Philippi. And I showed you again that because Jesus was there in that area and he said something he asked a question to his disciples because in that area certain things were demanded every king demanded that people in that area when they asked who are you who do you say i am they had to say you are king you are god and they had to worship him remember all these kings and gods wanted to be worshiped king nebuchadnezzar built that crazy statue of himself. And when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not worship, the fiery furnace. We know what happened with Daniel when he refused to worship. What happened? He got thrown in the lion's den. These people were ruthless, and this is what they did. So this was the area that Jesus was in. And the disciples knew this kind of area. So in the midst of all of this, this crazy area knowing where they were, knowing what the kings were about, in that environment, Jesus asks a question in Matthew 16, 13, because this is what they did in that area. So Jesus asks the same question in that area. And he says to his disciples, who do men say the Son of Man am? In other words, what's going on in the street? What are they saying about me on the dirt roads? Everybody has an opinion about Jesus. Everybody does. Even today. Just get on social media. Woo, boy. It's crazy. Everybody has an opinion. And they said, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. And others, Jeremiah, are one of the prophets. Now, those are some great names. As I said earlier, top five. Very impressive. be like, wow, that sounds good. Yeah, I think that's nice. But Jesus, as I said this morning, isn't interested in what the world thinks of him. He's not interested in the least. He's not interested in what social media thinks about him in the least. Instagram, TikTok, he does not care what they think about him. Jesus doesn't care what your teachers in high school or your college professors think about him. Jesus really isn't interested in what your preacher thinks about him. Did I say that? Wow, I said that. No, what Jesus is interested in is what he asked those guys thousands of years ago. And this impersonal question that he asked them became personal all of a sudden, very personal. He says, Okay, I get all that, that's great. But who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? In that region, in that area where people died. Eyes gouged out, stretched on machines for not having the right answer. He asked them guys, who do you say I am? And the answer better be right. <laughs> well, thank God, in verse 15, Jesus answered. Well, actually, he said to them, who do I say I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. You see, when you see the baby manger, the baby in the manger, you also have to see that picture right there. You have to see him crucified on the cross. You just can't see one without the other when you're talking about Jesus. Philip the Tetrarch, put his face on a coin. Jesus said, when you have seen me, you have seen my father. Philip the Tetrarch was building a great city to make a name for himself. Great and undisputed among all the nations in that time. Jesus wasn't building no city. Jesus was building a kingdom, an eternal kingdom. And he wants you and I there with him. Amen, that's right. And the Jews, well, the Jews couldn't see what was right in front of them. It was all being played out in real time, and they didn't get it. They just didn't get it. Jesus is asking you and I today, who do you say that I am? Who do you say I am? Do you see him as a threat, like King Herod? Maybe a threat to your lifestyle? How you do things, I don't want to change. No way, so I'm not going to see him as a savior. Because I like the way I live and way I do things. Yeah. You see, the wise men saw him as a king. The reason for the gold. All kings got gold sent to them and brought to them. So they saw him as a king. They also saw him as God. Thus the reason for the frankincense. And then they saw him as the anointed one by bringing him the myrrh, which is the bitter herb of death and burial. They understood Daniel's prophecy that the anointed one would be cut off or would be killed. That's how the Magi saw Jesus. The Jews did not see Jesus as God or the Son of God. And then when you look at the Romans, the Romans just thought that he was pretty much a troublemaker. Didn't really care about him at all. The centurion who was guarding Jesus after he died on that cross and the earthquakes happened and the lightning and the thunder and it became dark, he finally realized and looked and said, he was surely the son of God. Maybe you see him as a scary judge. Maybe just a historical figure even a fictional made-up character a prophet a teacher Jewish leader maybe he's just an idea to you of course if he's an idea then you're free to believe whatever you want and he can't tell you what to do that's my truth and my truth is my truth and there's no opinion about it you can't have opinion about it because it's my truth What's circling around today they took 25,000 teenagers and they asked them, who do you see when you see Jesus? 46% of them said, a person offering hope to people. Oh. 43% said, well, you know what? He's a caring person. Pretty, pretty caring. Okay. My grandma's caring. I guess that's, that's good. Okay. Only 23% saw him as a savior, and one that they could have a relationship with. Only 23% of 25,000 teenagers. To me, that's a sad number. It's a sad number. They're all missing it. Just like his own people missed it. If you want to see Jesus as the savior, you must be objective and follow the evidence wherever it leads. Okay? Okay? Why is it that with science and math, we do our study, we do our research, we do our history. We find out if it's true or not. But when it comes to Christianity or the Bible or God or religion, we settle for fantasy and we just believe what anybody says. It's true. We do. Blind assumption is dangerous, folks. Very dangerous, especially in these last days where the Bible said there will be people They claim to be Jesus, claim to be the Messiah. False prophets and teachers, man, they're everywhere. And the internet doesn't help. Can I hear another amen? Amen. That's exactly right. That's why there's over 4,200 world religions floating around out there. 4,200 religions that people can just believe whatever they want. But let me tell you something. Out of those 4,200 religions, there's only one virgin birth. And there's only one empty tomb. That was a good place to, to do that. Yeah, that's right. Only one. That's it. So how much does Jesus mean to you? Good question. He must be above your family, your guns, and your country. He must. And it all starts with you believing that you are lost and have sinned and believing that God came in human form to pay a debt that you and I could never pay. Never. He absorbed the debt that you and I owed by letting Himself be nailed to that cross. So you and I could have a chance of eternal life and a chance to have a relationship with Him while you're on this earth right now. It's what He wants. It's what He wants. Isaiah 9, 6 says, unto us the child is born. Unto us, unto you, unto me, the child was given to us. You sitting right here, he was given to us. To you and to me. And now it's up to us to look at this and say, what am I going to do with it? What am I going to do with it? Am I going to see the Savior or am I not going to see the Savior? that's the question and the nice thing about our god and this one gospel is that god gives us free will free will In other countries we preach around the world do crusades around the world there's some countries there is no free will if you don't believe this way you're done you're toast but thank god our god loves us enough to give us free will that's the blessing of the gospel and as I say here in closing, Nicole and I went Friday. We went to Texas Roadhouse for lunch as we was doing some grocery shopping. And we were sitting in the restaurant. We had a good time talking and um, got to pay for the bill. The bill, we asked for the bill to come, and it was paid for. And I love that when that happens. That's just amazing. You know, the bill was paid. Like, it was paid? What do you mean it paid? Somebody paid for it? Wow. And, you know, and if you're like me, you're like, <laughs> It feels good. It feels great. Wow, somebody did that for us. Probably did it just for her. But it's okay. I'll take it. We're one. It feels great. And you just feel all gooey on the inside. But how amazing does it feel that Jesus paid a much bigger price, a much greater price For you and I. You and I were supposed to look like that on the cross, folks. You and I were supposed to be so mangled that they didn't even know it was him. Those are nice pictures right there. That's what you and I were supposed to be. And we're supposed to look like. But Jesus took that for us. Paid that price for you and I. Wow! What a present. What a gift. While you and I were cursing his name, cussing him out doing what we want to do, partying, you know, he died for us. He took the first step for you and me. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't know if we were going to say yes to him or not. But yet millions and millions and millions of people around the world give their life to Jesus every single day. Take that free gift. And so today I'm asking you guys tonight, Do you want the free gift as well? It's a lot better than a meal being paid for. It's eternal life, it's a relationship with Him. And it's free. It's so simple. We just confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Christ died for us. And on the third day, He rose from the dead. And the Bible says then you and I will be saved that fast, instantly. Wow! You don't get that in a job interview. You've got to wait a long time before you get that job. <laughs> so I'm asking you tonight, does anybody here want that free gift? And if you do, I just want you to stand up, and I'm going to pray with you. And you're going to be part of the kingdom of God, part of the family of God. You don't have to be perfect. Nobody's perfect. Perfect. I'm less perfect than most of you here. I might look good every now and then. That's because Nicole dresses me. But we're all family, guys. All church is, is a spiritual hospital. We all have weaknesses. We all have problems. I just thank God that this church is not judgmental. But we love you for who you are. And we'll pray with you and we'll help you. We'll help you grow. Help you learn and be part of this great family. If that's you, just stand up and come on down here. Anybody at all? I'm not going to ask long. I don't need to ask long. I know where I'm going. Work out your own salvation. Anybody at all? Don't be embarrassed. Don't be scared. It's okay. Anybody? Nobody? Going once going twice. Ava, you want to give Jesus your heart today? Come on. Amen. Yes. Awesome. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Yes. You know, the Bible says that between ages seven and 14 is when children figure out who they're going to serve for the rest of their life. And they give their life to Christ between the ages of seven and 14. How old are you? Nine. There you go. Nine years old. Nine years old. I was seven. Nicole, how old were you? You was five when you gave your life to Christ. That's right. So even though you're older than 14, you still have a chance. (laughs) Anybody at all? This is it. Once? Only twice? Okay. We're not promised till tomorrow. As I said this morning, I did a, I buried a two-month-old baby this month. And I buried a 69-year-old man, as I said earlier. Died before he hit the ground. Well, I got plenty of time. I got plenty of time. I'll be able to repent at the end. Really, that guy didn't. Hit the ground. Groceries were still there. I got to see him in a covered body. It was a very sad day. Very sad funeral. It's hard to preach a funeral when you don't know if they're saved or not. Because what hope is there? It's very, very difficult. So, Ava, you ready to pray with me? I'm not Ava. I'm I'm sorry. I know. I know. I always do this. Avery. Avery. Are you ready to pray with me? All right. You re- <laughs> okay, you repeat after me, okay? Father, in Jesus' name, Father, in Jesus name I come before you right now, I you right now. As, a sinner, as a sinner. I was on my way to hell. Way to hell. No, relationship you, no relationship with you. But right now, I give you my life. I, my life. I repent of my sins, I my sins. And I believe that now I am saved. I am born again. Jesus is in my heart. I thank you, Father, for forgiving me. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
2: Yeah, baby. Woo! <laughs> the kingdom of heaven
3: is one stronger. Amen. <clears throat> I just want to take the time right now and no, Pastor Randy you gave an altar call but I just want us to all bow our heads tonight and I think we're going to say this prayer together that if there be one amongst us who maybe doesn't have the courage to stand tonight in front of the crowd that maybe you would tell the person you came with or maybe you would come up to us after the service and just gently let us know that you gave your life to Christ God's here waiting to receive you let's pray All repeat after me. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you tonight. I see you as my Savior. Forgive me of my sin. Come into my heart. Be Lord of my life. I choose to serve you. I denounce the devil and his work. No more am I his. But tonight, Christmas Eve, I saw you and the price you paid for me. Thank you, in Jesus' name, amen. When you came in tonight, you received a candle and communion. If you would take out your communion tonight. We often hear the song that says, see the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, and we sing about away in a manger. But I'm reminded tonight that God himself wrapped himself in human flesh and came to this earth for you and I. He didn't have to, he chose to. You know, I wonder if Mary and Joseph that night could see him as the Savior. I wonder if maybe they thought, how are we going to raise the Son of God? You know they were reluctant, you know maybe they were apprehensive, maybe felt a little inadequate that night. But Jesus began to grow. He wasn't in a manger long before he began to grow in stature and in wisdom and in the word. And just like Pastor Randy said tonight that the Isaiah, the prophet, proclaimed years before Jesus was born that this is what he came to do that he came to proclaim the good news to the poor. This is not just poor in money, this is poor in spirit. They had no hope, they had no reasoning. There was no reason for them to be alive in their own mind because life in this world was so grim. He came to give them hope. He came to bind up the brokenhearted. Life happens. Many of us walk around broken, but he came to fix that brokenness and to proclaim freedom for the captives. Freedom from the things you struggle with. Freedom from the sin that so easily besets you and I. These things that that bring us down, things that are hiccups, things that are in our generation. Well, my father was that, so I'm that. My, my, my mother struggled with this, so I often struggle with the same. Addictions. Spiritual struggles. And to release from darkness for prisoners. Sin is dark, but God is light. God come to remove that darkness and bring you and I and our spirits into the light to show his hope. Broken people break others, but healed people help bring others healing. Jesus brought us healing. Tonight we remember Christmas is where it began in a manger, but the cross is where it ended for you and I, because the debt was already paid. God's not paying your debt now. He already paid the debt. And now we get to walk in that freedom. Now we get to walk in the freedom of sin. We don't have that sin anymore. Tonight we remember what he did on the cross. Break open your communion and grab your bread. It says in Corinthians, the first chapter, I'm going to read Jesus' words. It's the 11th chapter, I'm sorry. It says, the Lord Jesus that night that he was betrayed, he took bread And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Tonight, as we take this, we're reminded that he bore, he bore the stripes for you and I that we might have healing. Neither do you and I have to deal with sickness and disease, emotional sickness and disease. He bore that for you and I today. As we take this and we bless this bread, let us remember that. And let's receive the healing, complete healing tonight for you and I. Take this bread. Thank you, Lord. Father, we take this cup. Father, and we thank you for your blood. We thank you that this juice is just a symbol of what you did at Calvary but this is what you said this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this whenever you drink it do it in remembrance of me for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes we remember the price you paid at Calvary and we're thankful that our darkness has been removed and that light has been given Thank you for your blood, Jesus. Thank you for paying a debt that you did not owe. Thank you for being our perfect sacrifice. We do this in remembrance of you. Church, it's an honor to take communion with you tonight and remember the Lord's death until he comes. You're, you're talking in your match light. What? you got to talk in a microphone. Not...
1: I'm trying to talk here. All right. On. I'm on. I'm on. All right. Grab your candles, everybody. We're going to sing the traditional come on. song. Come up here. Yo, Pastor Phyllis, why don't you come on up here too? Let her
3: light our candles. Yes.
1: Come on up here. Wait. Oh, you want to just start it there? Okay. Let's do something new tonight. It's all good. Come on, Mom. Sometimes family just doesn't, doesn't work how it's
4: supposed to.
3: Awesome. Can I say a word? You sure can. You can. Say as much as you
4: want. You know, I didn't plan on saying this, but uh, when Pastor was with us, Listen, he laid hands on these two people. And he said, you know what? He said, I pronounce and I get all of my anointing and I place it on these two people. Listen, I'm telling you, I am proud of our pastors, not because they're family, but I know they will teach us right They will lead us, right? And we'll never have to worry about what they're trying to tell us or put into us. Last night I was, I couldn't sleep last night, I was up all night. And I was watching these Christian stations and this one man said, the raptures of the devil. Oh my God, it just hurt my heart. It just tore me up. Listen, you're not going to hear anything bad like that here. Listen, these two he anointed them with oil, laid hands on them while we both did, and the anointing has passed down from pastor onto this couple. So just I know you love them and I know you receive them. And I just thank you for that. Sorry. Didn't know I was going to say that.
3: You're allowed. Come on.
1: From our family to yours this evening, we say Merry Christmas. Go,
2: Iles, there you go.
1: look around and see the light everywhere you know the light transcends darkness and Jesus was the light of the world and now yes would you like to preach this honey you okay you good and now we are the light yes and now you and I are the light of the world Just hold the candle up and just look around you are the light in the darkness and this world is getting darker and darker every single day and you are the light you may be the only light that somebody sees next year or tomorrow you may be the only Jesus that somebody sees tomorrow so don't only serve him well but represent him well To help lead others to the light. Amen? Amen. So we're going to pray. Father, we just thank you for this congregation. We thank you for the people in this place. For the families in this place. God, we thank you that we see the Savior. We see him everywhere we go. We see him in everything that we do he came to defeat death, hell and the grave and he came to bring life to you and I God he came and he is the light of the world and he still is the light of the world God we honor you tonight we thank you tonight for the greatest present the greatest sacrifice, the greatest gift that can ever be given to anyone that was your son who came willingly and died on that cross for us, for the forgiveness of our sins. God, we thank you again today and we can never thank you enough for that. Thank you for allowing us now to be the light of the world thank you for blessing this congregation blessing their families with health, life blessings with everything they do, everything they go and everything they touch is blessed. I thank you they have favor with you in their goings and in their comings I thank you that as they live by faith every day you will honor them, love them and help them I thank you that they won't feel lonely because you are there closer than a brother. We give you praise and honor for it all this Christmas. We thank you for the blessings that you bestow on us and our families in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. We love you guys. Blow out your candles. Have a great Christmas. God bless.